Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the Britflix.com podcast. It's the Britflix.com podcast. Welcome to the Britflix.com podcast. Today I've got with me Chris Brown. Hello, Chris. Hello, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, sir. I'm doing very well. And how are you? I'm very well indeed. Very well. Now we're not talking. Well, we're talking about film, but we're not talking about a film or film or filmmaking as such for this Britflix. I, um, I'm a bit. I was a big fan of the Video Nasties podcast, which Chris hosted for a long while, and we'll go into what that included. And in conclusion to that, Chris has published a book looking back over the Video Nasty phenomena. Um, do you want to tell us what it's called and and give us a brief synopsis from your point of view how you see the book, Chris? Okay, cool. Um, well, um, basically, um, the book's called The Video Nasties Moments, and um, what it involves is um, while I was writing the podcast and recording the podcast, um, or indeed before then, what what happened was I was watching a lot of these films anyway because the wife bet me that I, I couldn't watch, kind of get them or collect them all and watch them, and this is before they were all just on YouTube. Um, and as I was watching them, uh, I, I was making notes and kind of thinking about it. And, and, and as I knew it, before I knew it, I had this stack of notes and those notes turned into a podcast. And so I started recording this, this podcast. And, and as I was recording, uh, people started feeding in their own opinions and their own views and, and their own experiences of, uh, of, of the video nasty scare. Um, and then from there, we, um, I took, the notes from the podcast and kind of added additional research into um, a lot of like what the newspaper cuttings and, and the legal side of stuff and and also the, the, the like the genres that they kind of touch on and try to make sense of the films themselves and why they kind of caught the eyes of the authorities and uh, also the kind of the scare themselves. So, I mean, each chapter, for example, starts with a, a quote from like invariably the Daily Mail kind of <laughs> kind of stating, um, you know, how horrendous these are and how terrible they are for, for, for you know, would only anybody think of the children? And um, it kind of goes through there. So it, it from from one point of view, it's kind of just like an, an explanation of these films almost. Mm. But I kind of, it, I try and kind of tie it all together in a way that isn't just like, you know, some of books that kind of touch the time, I'm not going to pretend that there are other video nasties books out there that actually kind of, you know, kind of, you know, 
they've set the, the, the all the film all the films effectively are cover sex and death and mm. um trying to kind of grab those kind of strands and kind of explain them a bit better but also for me personally these films are or all, all films you know i mean because obviously they're all basically low budget movies yeah that they uh, are you know they, from from their point of view there's always a story behind them there's a reason why they exist you know, and whether that be you know Jess Franco blagging money from a producer and making a film behind uh, the the main producer's back, like he did with Women Behind Bars, or whether it's um, with the with the example of uh, Forrester Fear, which was a guy who'd gone to a, gone on a course and learned how to make films, and he was really a solicitor, and he went away and he made made a movie, and you know the fact that the, it caused uproar in the UK was like, you know, sucker from heaven for him because it means he could then go and try and sell it elsewhere, you know what I mean, from a yeah, different, yeah. From in, in different territories. So it's kind of explaining, you know, what how, how these films come in existence. And, and, and then the, th- the thing to say, is, and again, with it being Britflix, is this was a very British phenomenon. We were yeah. a country that overreacted to the birth of home entertainment to the point that we, mm. we wrote it into statute with the Video Recording Act in 1984. Now... I mean, the, um, my my personal interest. I mean, I I, I, I was saying to, to Chris before we started recording that um, I, I'm I'm no fan of most of the films on the list. I mean, remind us how many how many is on the list that you you covered for your podcast? Yeah, well, there are 39 films that are classed as the the band 39. They're film films that were on the list at the end of the scare. Yeah. So, and then there's uh, another 33 films which kind of hit the list at some point. So there's 72 films in total, which uh, kind of hit this kind of official list of films that could be seized and prosecuted. Right. And that, and they're the ones you covered on your podcast. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and from, from my point of view, I mean, I, I was grateful that you watched them. So I didn't have to, um, <laughs> if truth be told, but it is, it is an interesting thing that goes on in Britain in the way that the government wants to be involved in how we consume film. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, I mean, it, it is a very British thing. There's two things you've got to bear in mind, I think, with it. One is obviously, what, as you've just said, that, you know, we have a, we have a government that is very keen on uh, having a, a lot far larger say in what we consume than possibly in other countries, certainly, you know, democratised Western countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the, the other side of it is that when, when <clears throat> video was absolutely leapt on in the uk in a way that it wasn't in other countries possibly in, in japan it was big because you know they have a lot of tech you know obviously keen on technology in america it was big again but in europe there wasn't that big a deal with um with this kind of with this kind of stuff because they could go to the cinema and watch these kind of films they you know effectively uh, you know the, the classic thing about the reason why vhs beat betamax was because vhs had the pornography and I think what VHS, what video generally offered the people in the UK was something that they couldn't get elsewhere, and so it it went, it went huge, and people spent a lot of money on it. You know, the for example, in 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 London, I think people get surprised that you you know you could pay you could join a, a big video shop. You, you sometimes you have to pay fifty pounds just to join, and then you know then you then you could only then you could start renting the films. That's because the films were fifty quid each to buy. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. they were. It was. It was. You know, an eighty-two, eighty-three. That's a huge amount of money. Plus the machines themselves are five hundred quid. So why were we getting involved with it? It's because you could, to be honest with you, see something that you wouldn't normally be able to see. And I mean, I don't think that's surprising that you know, 
love Camp Sevens there, and people are like, well, you would never see anything like this before. So people people like sort it out. Plus the fact it was all sold in that kind of you know those particularly those kind of stuff were sold in a horrible grindhousey way with you know grim covers and the most shocking thing you've ever seen in your life. Um, so it's, it's I don't think it's that surprising that it's a very it is a British phenomenon because we kind of we kind of built it that way already. You know, the films I, like you know. I, I, must, I must admit, I'd never thought of it that way before. That um, on the continent, there was you know, it, there, there is a different attitude to to, to to tits and ass being shown in a film because usually it's a lot less titillating, as it were, or seen to be titillating. Whereas in ours, we just the minute any nudity appears on screen, there's a there's a want to snigger or censor it. One or the well, other. Well, you know, think you know the Carry On films. For you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, they're, yeah. they're entirely based on. You know, who were Mrs. How's your father? You know, Swanny whistles and all that. So I don't think there's a, I don't I don't see much difference between that and you know uh, how we then suddenly all ran out and started buying video recorders and true. Mm. So um, by rights, then given given all this this stuff came in, you you obviously are an insane killer who dresses like his mother and talks like Donald Duck when you go on your killing spree. Now, obviously, if you've seen all these films, <laughs> or tell me, Chris, how did you avoid? Being or survive being mentally ravaged by these films that you've watched. Well, no, I am completely depraved and corrupted. Absolutely, it's um, <laughs> it's a terrible thing. Um, I think the biggest letdown. I think my uh, my niece is twenty years old, hmm. and um, she reminds me very much of myself. She was extremely excited that she got to watch Necromantic, hmm. which she watched on a before she knew the Arrow video release was coming out, and she right. she kind of she. she she got to the dodgy bootleg and she's like, Chris, I've seen Necromantic. It's amazing. It's hilarious. And I was like, you know, you the, the pride, the pride. It was it was it was swelled inside me. <laughs> but um I think the biggest letdown for most people when you see this stuff is that there will be things in there that will offend you. And um because well, you know, that's that's fine. I mean the the biggest letdown is the sheer quantity of bog standard slashes of films that don't really connect with you at all um there's up the the the, the, the it's 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 the banal it's the banality of the list i think that will really surprise mm. a lot of people when they actually get to it um i mean i'm personally not a massive fan of slasher movies i mean you know i, I, I like the burning um you know friday friday 13th okay and mm. you know the you know, nightmare on elm street and all that they're, they're kind of cool films but like, you know, when you get into films like Night School and stuff like that, it's just, just agonizingly awful. So I think a lot of the time it, it becomes like kind of almost like an endurance contest, like competition in truth, kind of, you know, how, how many of these films can you watch? And I think, you know, as I mentioned Love Camp 7, like to watch Love Camp 7, if, if, if it's like watching shit porn is, so can I swear? Is that okay? Yeah, 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 fine. Yeah, fine. Um, watching shit porn is horrendous. <coughs> Because you you know you're not getting anything from it, and you know there's long long scenes of just tedium, and that is a crap offensive porno. So what, 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 once you get once you break the back of that, I think you you tend to tend to realise that you, you're going to probably going to be okay. I mean, the thing I think the thing is, and what maybe held held up the sort of list for, for you know was that a the idea of watching something you're not meant to, mm. but also. Muddled in with all that absolute dross was some absolutely great pieces of film. I mean, for, for all of the offensiveness of some of the content, yeah. Cannibal Holocaust, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know the the, the yeah. Argento movies. They have yeah. they have an, an element of well, they have art in them for starters. They're not just 
yeah, yeah. by accident or by design. They aren't. They aren't. They don't. They don't suffer from that banality as you describe. I mean, I think. No. The, I, I would say probably, um, maybe fifteen films on the list are like exceptional. Uh, Possession for me is is a wonderful film. Mm. I mean, and 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 also, I mean, I, I've been quite. You know, I think because when people kind of say we depraved and corrupted, I was kind of like you know sign off as being like oh they're all you know they're, they're be quite dismissive. And I think a lot of people who write about it do do that. And I think that's a fault myself really. But mm. I mean, say for example, I would never have seen the witch that came from the sea unless I'd done that list. I probably wouldn't have watched Possession as many times as I have done. And those are those are fantastic films. I mean, you mentioned Texas Chainsaw. That's an interesting point because. A lot of the films from that time, uh, people kind of think they're on the list, but they're not. Like Shogun Assassin, Assassin isn't on the list. Extra is another classic one. And Texas isn't, despite the fact it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it wasn't properly released in the UK until like 2001, maybe, 99. Mm. Um, isn't on the list. I think it's on the Section 3 list, which is a separate list, which are films that basically, it's a list of like 82 films, which were that the DPP thought they might be able to get a prosecution with only magistrates court, so they weren't mm. properly classed as obscene. But you know, you kind of get it taken off and they take and they confiscate your video and burn it. Mm. So um, that's that's where I've, so there's, there tends to be quite a lot of confusion about what's on the list. I know some people are very like um, like only the thirty nine that were on the list at the end are actually video nasties and. It, it can kind of get because it because it's so because the time period was so muddled <coughs> in terms of what was happening. Mm. I think people kind of it, it, it's it's interesting because people get do get confused in terms of what was a video nasty and what wasn't. I, I was lucky enough because I'm of a certain vintage to be able to see some films despite being too young to see them. Yeah, pre 1984. Yeah, yeah, and then when they got banned, I didn't understand because I'd seen them obviously. And, and you were right. And and I was a child and the world hadn't ended. Because I watched them with my dad, you know, like anything else, if you sit with a if you're with a parent and you're supervised and you can talk about it, then yeah. it's not nearly as powerful. It has no it has no hold over you. Well, it's a film ultimately. Exactly, so. exactly, exactly. Um but it led to it's led to like a little mini obsession, you know, read you know, reading about the subject. Not watching fair enough, not watching most of the films, mm. but certainly taking a greater interest in in film censorship <laughs> and, and the like. Yeah, I think, um, uh, well, initially it was um, these films could be offensive and then obviously you, you can't maintain that because most people believe themselves to be of sound mind. Yeah. So then it, then in the scare, there's a pivotal moment when um, a lad called, I think it's, it's off the top of my head, this, I think it's John Martin, but I might be wrong about that. Okay. Um, but the, there's a lad who got convicted for uh, burglary and rape. And his solicitor blamed "I spit on your grave" for the rape, okay. and uh, that and it, it got front page of the Daily Mail because it, it, it and because basically because the, the judge agreed that the films that he'd watched had inflamed his mind in some way, oh. and that would that was that was that was the, the tipping point, and uh, suddenly from there we had a prop. It, 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 it turned from being a. a you know, a, a, an ongoing scare story of oh, will only somebody think of the children? To these films are actually dangerous, uh, and you know, court sanctions the fact that these films are dangerous, and then obviously the police had to get involved at that stage because the court had said these films could inflame somebody's mind, and, it, and that, that that changed everything f- for it. My, from my personal point of view, that lad didn't kill any, didn't sorry, didn't rape anybody because of a film he watched. He, ra- you know, he did it because he, there's obviously something wrong with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but it doesn't matter you know there's no you know there's no psychiatric report on that lad that that was in that news article it's only what the judge said so and from there that what? it was a snowball if you don't already subscribe to Britflix, just sign up for free at iTunes and you'll get the next episode right after we launch it. Or follow at Britflix on Twitter for links to the podcast to stream from the website directly. Thank you. Despite all the best efforts of people that want to prove a causal link between violent imagery on screen and violent actions of people, we're yet to find a solid piece of research that suggests that, e- that begins to even support it. We've got lots of there's lots of research out there that tells you there is no causal effect, and any and any time anybody tries to say this, a new report has the academics have a look at it and they go, well, that's just a biased survey. There is definitely there, there, there tends to be like regurgitation of facts and assumptions. I think a lot of the time, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, obviously. It's that you know. I say obviously. I don't think you need. I think we we've always got to remind ourselves that by all means, you know, people should question whether something is damaging to society or not. Mm. But until you have the hard facts for the matter, you you know, you, you you all you're doing is making assumptions, and you certainly shouldn't make legal backing. You wouldn't you wouldn't ban um, a drug or a way of driving without any evidence. But for some reason. As a society, we seem to think that's okay with art. You said it. You said you started the podcast as a sort of to win a bet with your wife that you couldn't watch yeah. them all, yeah. and and then then you had the surprise for you was the kind of love affair a lot more other people have with these films that have been banned. Uh, you know, because we're talking twenty odd years after the event. Yeah. Um, so how did that grow as a as a, as an idea that then became a book? Okay. Um, well, effectively. Um, I've done a podcast before about mm. uh, the Rod Serling's Night Gallery, which um, is far is a, as a podcast is far more popular in America than it is here because I, I don't think we have a lot. Of, I mean, in Britain we don't have a lot of memory for that show, but I, I, I always have strong memories because when I was younger, again, um, somebody showed me some episodes and I, I kind of it kind of locked that this was something that was kind of cool. It, mm. it, it's a it's a and I, I do like things that are um, not perfect, and the Night Gallery isn't perfect. People hold Twilight Zone up on a pedestal, but Night Gallery is a bit of a kind of a, a, tar- a tarnished uh, classic. But um, so from, from that point of view, I already had a podcast, but as a, as a book, um, I when I started it, the, the plan was very simple to kind of just go through each film and give my opinions on it and mm. kind of just give a bit of trivia, much like a lot, like the way a lot of those kind of podcasts are, you know, this week, you know, we're going to talk about, well, say Phantasm or whatever it is. Mm. And we're going to talk about this film and then we're going to move on to the next one next week. And I'm going to give you opinions. It's going to be 30 minutes. And roughly around episode two or three, I was already being contacted by people who were really involved with the scare and also afterwards as well. So I got contacted by a guy called Dale, who used to work at DRAN. Now, DRAN used to do like they, they released Brutes and Savages, which was section three, mm. uh, Mardi Gras Massacre, uh, Cannibals, which is another section three, amongst others. And he kind of like he gave me his his feelings on on, on like the at the time and all that kind of stuff and was asking me questions for, from my knowledge to kind of like put almost his own experiences in context. Mm. Um, so that was fantastic feedback. And I mean, a lot of podcasts are about feedback, but um, from that kind of stuff, it was like it was really like you know, I mean, I'd never spoken to anybody like that. And I spoke to another guy who I can't name, but 
he was talking about uh, early 90s or mid 90s and going to car park meetings and selling VHS like um, bootleg horror films or real horror films and you know trying to you know people that would try and sell black versions of these kind of films and that yeah. and and like you know the, the the story always tells me is that he was they were in a car park meet and the the i would say police it wasn't police it was training stands train standards rock up so they lash all the they lash all the gear in the back of the car and go to drive off and this fella panics and tries to like starsky and hutch into the back window and like so they're driving off and his legs are dangling around the back <laughs> while they trading stands are chasing them like you know and it and that kind of info, it just fascinates me. It's like the, it's it's more than just just love. It's a you know obsessive behaviour. I know you, you interviewed Jake West about his um, Draconian Days yeah, uh, yeah, documentary, yeah. and then a lot that that last half hour when he kind of goes into that stuff, that was weird. That's where I came into that kind of thing. I this kind of like there was all this illicit illicit stuff already out there, and you just had to get it, and you wanted to see it because the man's telling you not to. And you know, you know, I'm not. I, I wasn't buying drugs. I was buying videos. You know, what I mean, as me little rebellion. <clears throat> so when you when you were compiling, so you're, you you were growing this knowledge, and obviously you were you were doing it incrementally anyway, because mm. you were literally watching the films. Yeah. So and and at the same time, you're accumulating stuff. You were, I'm guessing, um, from what you say in the book, you you um, you're watching these things. Your podcast is going out, and then people are sending you their own anecdotal stories, their own. Mm thoughts even bits of i guess hard to find literature on it and stuff yeah. and so suddenly you're you're amassing without without particularly looking for it a sort yeah. of peculiar library on video nasties yeah i mean the reason there's the bibliography on the book is big considering the fact it's only eighty thousand words and the reason for that is that it's in there it's from loads and loads of people sending me stuff really i mean obviously it was such the big turning point for me was i received a, a pdf and it's about a gigabyte this pdf and it's almost entirely um well it is entirely um cuttings from 1982 uh through to mid 90s uh wow. all based on on video i'll send you a copy <clears throat> of it it's incredible it's absolutely incredible it, it, and and some of the stuff you pulled out were, was was amazing i mean i can I, I genuinely think i can pinpoint the moment when people when the daily mail effectively hinted that snuff movies were available in the shops and after that moment, you start you can, you can see it start popping up on like TV programs and stuff like that. Oh yeah, but the, you know, did the, the snuff movies available? People can buy it, and obviously that's bollocks. It's not never never not even close to being true. But there's a, there's one article which hit. It doesn't say it's happening. It alludes to the fact it might be happening, <laughs> and from and that's enough. And because it, as it is a stereo, you know, somebody says something, and somebody builds on it, and somebody builds on it, and. It's, it's it's classic. It's like you know, it's like the crucible. You know, once everyone starts feeding into it in hysteria, it just builds and builds and builds. So what uh, your your um, as we sort of established earlier, you know, the, the the quality of the films that were said to be video nasties is not great. But there were, yeah. but there, you, I think you said you said there were there was about fifteen that stood out for you. So which give us give give us something more about say maybe okay. one or two you really did enjoy that are kind of as a piece of cinema forget the that video nasty tag but actually as pieces of cinema from your okay. your opinion okay. well you... I, mean, I mean i mean cannibal holocaust obviously is is held up as a classic of, mm. of 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 you know extreme cinema but you've got um last house on the left which i know is very divisive as a film but mm. um i think you know it, it, as a as a historical document about where you know people's heads were at that point 
you know, post-Vietnam. It, 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 I think it's very telling in terms of how, how America saw itself. Um, Possession with uh, Sam Neill is is a wonderful film. And uh, for people who have not seen it but enjoy uh, Lars von Trier's Antichrist, um, I definitely recommend it because it's about um, that kind of grim hysteria that kind of builds in a relationship when the wheels are falling off. Um, but you're trying to keep it together, but you kind of don't like them, But and everything just gets worse and worse and worse. Uh, I said The Witch That Came From The Sea is... Is very is 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 an interesting character piece, and then you've got stuff that is like you know almost lost classics. Um, I know Arrow did did a lovely version of Inferno, the Argento film, mm. but it's very easy to forget that that, that film had didn't have any any kind of decent release for years, absolute years, and that's a that's a wonderful movie. Um, and is, it ju- is, is there just one? Is there just one British film on it? Is that? Expose is the only one yeah. that's uh, a British film um, that was made by um, a company called Norfolk International Pictures, who weren't based in Norfolk; they were based in London. Uh, but the guy who like ran the company was from Norfolk. But it's filmed in Norfolk, and it's a bit like Straw Dogs, if Straw Dogs involved a really, really mental uh, Udo Kier in the middle of it. Um, yeah, it's a poor. It's a poor film. It's it it's very much it, it's a good testament to where that kind of exploitative British cinema was at the time, I would say, because um it was built it wasn't built for the British market, it was built for the international market. And uh, it's trash. It's absolute trash. But again, I shouldn't really say that because I'm sure that you know there'll be somebody out there who'll be listening to it going, How dare you say that about that film? What was what was the greatest challenge for you, sort of Try, you know, like you like you say, there there already are books, and there's been a couple of DVDs, uh, recent documentaries come out about the video nasty um, yeah. scare and phenomena. So, what was it you what was it you were conscious of, or were you conscious at all of trying to do something particularly yourself from yeah, your own? I, what I, you'd observed, as it were. I didn't want to do um, another book that was just synopsis review. Synopsis review. I was really concerned about that. Actually, um, the initial notes for the book. Um, where that and I looked at it and it's just all you know it's terrible I mean it, it just didn't work it was it was boring um, it just didn't fit in it's only when so what I did was I sat down with the list in like a basically on pieces of paper and went right let's kind of try and build something that would tell a different story let's talk about the cannibal movies in terms of how Mondo Cinema and Italian filmmaking were at that point. Let's tell that story rather than saying, Cannibal Holocaust is a very good film. This is why it's very good. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and so once I kind of managed to kind of get that and kind of get that kind of thread, you can kind of build more of a journey through the films. Um, for me, I, kind of, I wanted to make a, a, a book which kind of like, it's like, you know, you go into a video shop and you're like, and there's some lad there who doesn't want to be there, and you're like, right, impress me. And he just kind of goes, right, there's this, and this is why it's good, and there's this, and this is why it's good. And you won't believe the moment when he eats this fetus and he tears his guts out and <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff. And if you can do that, then I think there's, it's more of an entertaining ride. And I wanted the book to be more of a kind of a ride through the films and a bit more of a feel, because I don't think, I think if you wanted to go out there and watch them all, it's, it's fairly easy these days to do it. Um, so I wanted to kind of, you know, if, if, if you've done that, kind of give you a bit more information. But 
you know, the most interesting thing for me personally, the most interesting thing about Love Camp 7 isn't the fact that it's banned. It's the fact that why does someone make that in the first place? Why does somebody consider, oh, you know, what the, you know what the world needs? You know, a fucking Holocaust porno. That's what the world needs. You, no one needs to see that. But why did that happen? And that story between the three men that made that film, mm. I think is more interesting than anything the film could ever achieve. So I that think, was kind I'm of going, weird. I'm going to say, say that's something, I think that's something that you... You, you certainly drew my drew my attention to more um, listening to your podcast previously to the book. You know that that question of why make this not 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 why should we not be able to watch it, but actually why did somebody make it? What was what was the motivation there? Yeah, so, yeah, and you know sometimes it's just because they wanted to make money. I mean, you know, you look at Night School. The director made Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I remember you saying that. His entire career went off a cliff. <laughs> and that's the last film he made. He's from Birkenhead. <laughs> and like that's a that's an interesting that's a that's a that's for me it's far more interesting than a, a film which honest to God, literally its biggest scare is where's the severed head gonna be? Is it in the soup? <laughs> is it in the freezer? I mean, I mean it's just nonsense, but you know why did he, why did he well I know what well we know why he made it he was desperate for money, um, but you know when you turn around and gonna go oh that guy oh that video nasty that was made by the director of Chitty Chitty Bang Bang I mean that's when people's in, people's interest start getting peaked rather than you know lecturing about censorship or lecturing about you know why this, it's de- I mean I've read books about that review the review the films that mm. just say this one this is synopsis it's shit. This one, this is an opposite it's shit, and it's boring. And I didn't want to do that because, mm. in the end, any any film production has interesting stories because making a film is an interesting process, and, the, and to make and to make a, an exploitation of film is interesting. You know why? You know, and a lot of it comes from ex, you know people from who'd made porno before, then then suddenly decided that they needed to make something different, and then you know make some other. And you know, Herschel Golden Lewis is a classic example of that. You know, I, I I sat there and watched the adventures of Lucky Pierre. That's not a great film. That's like a, another comedy exploitation movie. And uh, you know, it's literally Swanee whistles and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And um and then from there he made Blood Feast. And like that jump, you can kind of understand why that jumps happened because he realizes that you can't just make you know, either white coat movies or sorry, white coat being like sex education movies, yeah, or sex comedies for the rest of his life because he'll never make any money. So he got enough cash together because he made a bit of cash from a couple of these films and made Blood Feast, and that was hilariously, despite how amateurish it is, revolutionary in the genre. And you know, now I'm sure at some point somebody would have come up with the idea of just doing ridiculous gore, but he came up with it first, so he gets he gets marks for that if nothing else. No, indeed, indeed. So. So what was it? Um, what was the what was the hardest part for you then in, in writing it? Um, probably which which section? Most specifically, um, what section of the book give you the most trouble? Because I mean, it's broken down into I guess I guess eleven chapters plus an after. Oh, sorry, ten chapters with a welcome to and a, and a kind of aftermath. Yeah, sort of yeah. Charting, charting it. So, what was where was the challenge for you to find those? Um, they, it was it basically. I think if you actually broke it down into genre, you'd have probably a third of it being slashes. Mm. Um, 
And so, and I didn't want to do that. So there is a chapter about slashes, but I, I tried to reduce that as much as I could because, mm. and tried to kind of like pull out as many as I, as I could that weren't like, well, they are slashes, but they're, they're more important because of this. And mm. um, the, the, the hardest part, thing for me, the hardest part was that there are, it, because it's such a random collection of films, because they fact they are literally films that have just been grabbed off the shelves. Mm. That's trying to, create a, an overarching kind of narrative to it is is, is almost impossible so did everything they all have a kind of feel to them so you kind of allude to this kind of foreign kind of feel like um the devil hunter isn't a good film but it feels really alien it doesn't run on normal rules of cinema so it it, it kind of it stands out and so th- to that kind of stuff and kind of almost alludes to that kind of stuff and and not just kind of going, this is another slasher movie. I mean, li- honestly, at, there was a point, and when I was doing the podcast particularly, when it was I was doing slashes and I'd, I'd already seen them all and I was watching them again for the for, the, 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 the process was I would uh, watch them on Saturday mornings, write about them, uh, write the write like well, how many thousand words it was and then record on the Sunday and I'd wake up on Saturday mornings and it'd be frozen scream today and you'd be like fucking hell and I, I, I knew i remember sitting there before just being like oh i fucking hate this film and trying to kind of pull out those threads that was like oh no but it is interesting because of x y and z and all that kind of stuff and trying to maintain enthusiasm probably for films that for me personally are not that interesting was was was, was the hardest really in truth and and what was what was your what's been your favorite discovery of, of the you know if you think of when you started the bet to the yeah. book, to the book being complete. What's your what's your favourite discovery in and amongst all the video nasty phenomena? Um, for me, um, it's Jess Franco. Um, generally, um, okay. he's got three films on the list. Right, I only before I started it, I'd only really ever seen uh, Vampire's <clears throat> Les Boss, and I'd only seen that because somebody said the soundtrack's amazing and it's just and it ridiculous. Is. Yeah, it's fucking brilliant. And like it and it is proper like it's it it's Euro trashy and you'll enjoy it. So I watched it, like this is, you know, 1718. And I mean, oh, sorry, this is brilliant. I love this. And I didn't really give him a lot of thought beyond that because I was kind of assured that that's the, you know, you want to see one Jess Franco film, that's the one you need to see. And um and like when I and then so watched it, and so when I was doing the list, and like women behind bars has this amazingly beautiful opening. It starts with like it. Franco, when he made it, didn't want to make a Wind Behind Pass movie. He kind of wanted to make a Euro crime movie, but only had sets and the cast for a for a, for a, for a, a Wind Behind Bars film. So he spends like forty five minutes at the start, desperately trying not to make the film that he he has to make. And I find that fascinating and. There, there is a, a lovely shot of just seeing this, like um, this, 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 uh, this cart, like there's trains, and you're in the mountains, and you can see kind of wonderful panoramic views. And Franco is is not a, a fantastic filmmaker, but he can pick some lovely shots, hmm. and that, I, 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 and I love that. And then of Devil Hunters, dire, um, but that blood, uh, bloody moon was um, is the other one on that list. That's a really solid slasher movie, and I don't really like slashes, but there's something about it that that where he he's very good at doing pretty standard genre movies. And I I got I, I, from watching them, I got a lot more respect from them than I think I probably would have done. Um, if I was going to pick a film out that I, I, I like was actually a real surprise for me, it's probably The Burning. Um, I think I watched it 
years ago and didn't get much from it, kind of thinking it was just another slasher. But again, that is a really well-made movie. And um, I don't think it gets anywhere near the kind of love it probably deserves. It's considerably better than Friday the 13th Part 2, which was the film that was up against in the box office. And probably better than... It's it's the Friday the 13th movie. I think people think Friday the 13th is. Um, and I, I think that's a fantastic film. That's interesting. Because uh, the I mean, cause, I guess because the burning didn't really. I mean, I know uh, there there is a sequel, isn't there? As such, but it's not. It's no, it's, it's, it's not. Um, they didn't create a character. They're not like Jason or Michael. No, no. To uh, to 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 basically just film doing anything, and you could call it a film. No, um, I mean the Cropsey character isn't a particularly great character in truth, and he he, uh, he does get killed off, and that's it. And I think part of the reason was that the Weinstein come well, the Weinstein brothers made that film. And um, you know, from from there, they had enough money to go and do other things, so there wasn't the impetus to make any more. Whereas, um, you know, normally the money men will kind of go, well, we can try, you know, we can twat out another four or five of these and make a fortune. But they kind of went on to other things, and obviously went to far greater things in the. In I think the my, my memory. I think my memory of it last time I watched it isn't Jason Alexander in it, The Burning, the guy from yes. Seinfeld. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, he plays a camp counselor, doesn't he? Yeah, there's um, there's all Holly Hunter's in it. There's That's there's, right. yeah, there's yeah. cast mental. I mean, because they basically it was filmed in New York or outside New York, and then um, they scooped up everyone who's who, you know has a tongue in their head and was half decent <laughs> at that age um, to be in this film. So like you know, it's just effectively cannon fodder. You know, what I mean, the, the scenes was like forty or fifty kids, and they're all like you know kids, the nineteen twenty because they're obviously all at stage school, uh, as as is the classic trope that you need. From that stuff that you know, oh yeah, no, I'm 16. Oh yeah, definitely 16. Um, and there's, uh, 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 but it's it, so it's effectively that class of that year sitting in this room. So you've got all these fantastic actors, and like you know, Holly Hunter's like in it for about two minutes because no one knew she could act. But so, uh, it, but it is a you know, it, it's certainly something that's. Um, I mean, I think people see it more like a curio now, but it is a it is a great film. It is a great film. What do you do? You think there's any legacy to this horror genre? Because I mean, when 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 oh, you yeah. went when you went through the films, I, I I never got a sense of there being a, some sort of arms race with horror filmmakers. They're just like you say, it was a random bag of films that yeah. the 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 trade and industry <laughs> people decided they weren't going to let people see because of the video recording act. But but. Is there, is there a legacy to horror that's that, that that comes from having brought all this this random bag of film together? In this country, there is not what? outside this country. In, the Americans don't. I mean, you know, you look at America. America does not really know about what's happened. Mm. Um, they don't understand it. So, but you know, f- the community stuff certainly. Like you look at things like Fright Fest and and that kind of thing. And and the um, the the there was a good tw- you know after the video nasties there was a fifteen year <coughs> period where people literally just were handing around films, they were handing over movies to each other, um, they were sharing their collections, and that like solidified it. I think there's been a massively negative impact as well in the country because horror is almost seen like a dirty word a little bit. Um, when, you, when you consider, you know, before the nasty scare there was a very good i think there's a lot of positivity about horror in the uk we made a lot of horror whether it be hammer or again like those aap films i talked about before mm. it was horror on tv a lot you know and, and ghost stories for christmas there's a great tradition in the uk of 
of fright and of scares and uh, of 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 ghostly storytelling, which you just don't really see as much anymore. I mean, there's it tends to be this more sanitized version. I mean, the only thing I can think of that's been UK and horror based in the last, like on television, is Remember Me in the last couple of weeks, and that's you know that's deemed to be safe because you got a python in it, and mm. you know it was. Well, it was what was what it was. I mean, it, it was fine, but it, it, you know, it's a lot of screaming and um, and and scares that aren't scares, but not. It wasn't. It was. It was. It was ghostly rather than horrifying. Mm. And you know, you compare that to something like uh, casting the runes, the ITV. You know, when the 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 finished Ghost Stories for Christmas, they did. You know, ITV did a casting the runes version, mm. and that's um, it's made for TV, so it's it's not like in your face, but it's genuinely frightening. And like um, that's the, 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 compare it in this way: um, the stone tape, the Nigel Neal yes, Christmas yes. Day. At the end of it, was that Christmas was, Day? That was Christmas Day. I've only recently just watched that. You're oh, kidding that's me! Amazing, <laughs> but it's scream. It's, it's it's PG. You know, it's, it, yeah, it's yeah. kid kid friendly. But it's it's screaming. It's hysterical. It's really aggressive. Like the noise of it, mm. late night TV, really in your face. And then you compare it to maybe Mark Gattis's, uh Ghost Story for Christmas that was on Boxing Day on BBC Four last year, which is gentle as, gentle as hell. And I think that's the difference. Like one's deliberately trying to be in your face confrontational, and one's trying to be like, oh, isn't it? You know, almost nostalgia for this kind of stuff. And um, so I think, uh, I think the country's view of horror has changed. I mean, I've, I mean, for example, take uh, like you know Ghost Watch. Uh, 1992 so well out the remit of you know well past the video nasties at this stage it's a pretty standard pretty grim ghost story with a hoax element to it and people lost their minds about it and why did they lose their mind about it because this is idea that this tv program is somehow going to damage you because you think sarah green's died <laughs> it's, it's, it's fucking nonsense man it's absolutely insane but that's and i think because we're both very close to it we don't see that a lot of the time, but I think the video nasties for me kind of gave me a little bit of separation because I looked at the way the films were seen then and how they're seen now. And if you kind of put that on how we see horror now, I don't think there's a lot of difference between the two. I think I think the video nasties has changed us in a, in a way that I don't think anyone really anticipated. Well, no, I, 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 I agree with you. I think for, in my own experience, I, I stopped with horror to be honest with you, sort of by the mid mid to late nineties, I'd kind of got fed up with having to, you know, put up a fight to watch it. And there was kind of enough interesting kind of American indie stuff. You kind of post Tarantino films knocking about yeah. that they sort of took their place. And so when you got the the early noughties and stuff, where you've got the saw and hostel coming around, yeah, I just was I, I yawned a bit. I think just to, that, that people were getting excited about it and didn't bother watching. I thought I don't want to. I don't want to get involved because I remember re- you know I read things like you know men, women, and chainsaws in the early nineties, and that completely changed our how I understood horror films. Never mind how I enjoyed them yeah. and stuff. And then eventually I got around to watching some of this. The you know the mid mid noughties. I caught. I had a bit of a catch up. Yeah, and suddenly I thought I realized I was I was missing out. I was like, they were they were they were good films. I was I was falling for that for the kind of the way it was being trashed because there wasn't that voice for the genre in the mainstream. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that you've had these mega successes out of the sort of um, what's he called James Wan and Co. The yeah. Bloom the Blue Mouse stuff, which yeah. I think slowly but surely is eroding. 
a kind of nervousness. But but they are essentially ghost stories. More they're not. They're certainly not horrifying in the in, yeah. in the gratuitous sense. I think they're. Um, I think well, particularly with that stuff. I think they allude to um, pre-video nasties age uh, ghost stories for better or worse. I don't think they're particularly good examples of the of the, the kind of genre. Mm. But you know, the haunting or. Um, Amityville horror or that kind of thing. Yeah, I think yeah, they yeah. do kind of like hint towards that. I don't necessarily think. Um, I mean, obviously, they're, they're not that good. I mean, the well, yeah, it's difficult. I, mean, I quite enjoy Insidious. I do. I do think that was okay. I preferred the sequel to be honest with you. Uh, I, th- I, I think th- I thought they made a lot out of what wasn't meant to. You know, that was a success, and then you know, let's yeah. make a sequel. And so they invented that whole backstory. But yeah, I, no, I, I thought Ty West, Ty West's House of the Devil was probably. Oh, that's a wonderful A, a favourite one of mine, but yeah. obviously that wasn't as big a commercial hit. He's, I mean, his <laughs> stuff I really like. I mean, I really, really like it. I love The Innkeepers because oh, um, yeah. it felt, I mean, it does really feel like that kind of 1970s American horror story, that kind of slow burn and then big scare. I mean, really, some really nice stuff in that. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of his. I mean, I, I really like The Sacraments, though. I know a lot of people didn't. Um, but I do like the idea of Vice Magazine goes to uh, Jonestown. You know what I mean? I think that's a nice yeah, idea. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well look sir um, okay. we've covered a lot of ground yes. and we've definitely talked about your book I know that we, covered, <laughs> we went a bit further there hopefully hopefully, the listener was happy with that um, not the usual um, let's make a movie I mean is you, you, you talk when, when I've listened to you and from what I've read in the book you talk with great authority about film I mean are you are you someone that's been that's made film or been involved with making film or have you always just had that kind of Critical eye of, of, of... Uh, I, I'm one of those irritating people that was paid for a long period of time to write about art. So um, I've had the benefit of kind of that kind of arrogance, that journalistic arrogance. I think that's probably fair to say. <laughs> um, uh, and I'll, I'll, the first one to throw me hand up about that as well. Um, so I, I'm not a filmmaker now, but I've um, I've worked for national newspapers in the past. About I've written about um, film and music and and art and I, I do less of that now but uh I, I you know i did it for a fair old time so let's remind everybody what's the name of the book again it's the video nasties moments and it's out now and it's available kindle is it in hard it, copy it's in hardback and paperback as well it's the podcast. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. 
Hey y'all, Darius Rucker here. You know, a lot of people ask me, what inspires your music? And one of the big things is a strong sense of place. That's why I love my home state of South Carolina and want to share the awesome things it has to offer. From the beautiful mountains down to the sunny coast, it's got it all. Not to mention two of my personal favorites, great golf and amazing food. Come see why I love this place. Visit discoversouthcarolina.com. 